Hello, friends, benders and non-benders alike. Welcome to Braving the Elements, Nickelodeon's brand new podcast about all things Avatarverse. I'm Janet Varney. And I am Dante Bosco. And welcome back, friends, to the second part of our triumphant conversation with Mike Demartino and Brian Konetsko, who are, of course, the brilliant minds behind Avatar The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra. So if you haven't listened to our second episode ever of Braving the Elements, that is the first half of this conversation. Be sure to check that out first. We will be here for the second half of the conversation. We'll be right here waiting for you. Don't you worry. Now, in that first half of our chat with Mike and Brian, we talked about how they met at RISD, Rhode Island School of Design. We talked about what happened after RISD and how they ended up coming together to work on the brilliant idea we all know as Avatar The Last Airbender. And we started to get a little into the process, started teasing the conversation about the phenomenal artists in Korea who were utilized for the show and much, much more. Okay, let's jump into the second half. Now, Brian, you know, you and Mike had such a strong vision, and here you were kind of working outside of a traditional Hollywood process. Did you have an awareness of that? You know, it's a small kind of industry, but the more that we have interfaced with Hollywood at large, I've seen there is the kind of corporate studio sort of like, hey, this is the way it is. And if you want to be here by the bright lights, you got to put up with this. And that a lot of people have to because they don't have a lot of other options. And so they are knowingly making stuff they don't believe in, knowingly doing work that is below their ability and is cheapened intentionally because that they're trying to make, they're trying to write what's popular and what's going to get them hired and, and to do it just the standard way. And I don't know, Mike and I just, we're always like, could it be better? Could it be better? Not just the content, but could we be doing this better? Could we be using technology better? Could we find better people? Could we train people? Could we learn something? Could we? So we went and tried to learn from the animation studio in Korea and bring that back. You know, we tried to learn from the, the Korean animation industry and bring that back to the U.S. industry because it was so, we thought the TV side of it was so stagnant sitcom side the way they were doing it was it had just fallen into this weird process yeah it's one of those things too where it's like certain processes work fine for certain kinds of shows or you know you know for the sitcom shows like there's a way to do it and for the most part depending on the show it works but if you're trying to do a different kind of show with a different aesthetic and stuff you know you kind of need to switch up the process a little bit to to get get a result you're looking for so yeah i mean i think the biggest part that we did was like brian said the putting more of the power in the animators hands because there's stuff that they came up with that even though we would do storyboards and give them lots of you know guidance on on like what the scene was supposed to be there was so many times we were we were pleasantly surprised with what came back because it was like the animator took that raw material and then like put their magic on it and made it made it really shine yeah there are some exceptional moments you sort of feel like it's not that it breaks you out of the action in in a way that is disruptive at all i feel like you can feel the spirit of the human being animating and not to say it's just one person but just 
wonderful moments of kind of being smacked, but in a grateful way, like, oh, I need to see that again. And you can sort of imagine someone having that aha moment of like, I know how to make this moment in the action sequence pop and become something that's its own little magical spell that happens. Yeah, I mean, that's what was cool with getting to know the artists and the animators over the years. Like you would start to recognize people's work. You would know like, oh, I think so-and-so animated this. And and some like Gihyun Ryu, our good friend, like, you know, he was, we always knew a scene by him, but there were other animators too who are fantastic. And, and people brought their, like anything, you know, if it was storyboarded by a certain artist, you'd, you know, they put their their vibe on it and, and their spin on the characters and stuff. And it, you know, in the end, you know, you try all to sort of feel like the same show and you don't want to have like yeah, a yeah. bunch of different styles. But but even within that, you would I think it, it came through like the different artists interpretations. And did you see a creative evolution with the animators, too, in terms of like t- stretching a little bit more and taking more chances? Or, you know, was there was there an evolution like that? of Like, oh, you like I'm so glad you went for it. I think they especially uh, what was JM animation. And then a lot of those core artists moved over to form a studio mirror, uh, studio mirror that we worked with, you know, through Cora. Um, I think the char- they they just sort of like made the characters their own. You know, we had our model sheets, but the ideal versions of the, like the way Aang should look and the way Katara should look and the way th- those characters move and act and their expressions, it's, that was really solidified by those animators um, at JM and Mir. And that's really cool to see when they're, they're sort of like figuring out those characters and, and bringing them to life and really, you know, you have that imagine an idea when you're writing and you sort of looking at a model sheet and you're looking at a script and you're looking at a rough storyboard how's that all going to come together and make this stew but it's like and the voice i guess right yeah like jack to i mean we we had thought of a slightly different personality for Sokka. he was going to be a lot more like dry wit you know a lot more just kind of wry humor but jack I think wacky is an appropriate word for Jack. We love Jack. Um, you know, he when he auditioned, we were like, not only is this the person, but we try to just set up everything so that, you know, we have our vision, we have our sort of like goalposts, but with the writers that come in and the storyboard artists and the designers and the, and the animators and the music, you, you want to set it up so that everyone can inject that passion and love and idiosyncrasies and all of that in there. And, yeah, you know, when I was seeing stuff, my own relationship with anime was like there was stuff that really blew me away when I was younger. And then in college, I just saw a bunch of stuff that I thought was just really misogynistic and like gratuitously violent for no reason. And especially when those two were paired, I was like, I don't I have no interest in this stuff. Not none. You know, uh, I just go watch an early 90s Jet Li Kung Fu movie instead or something. And but it was working on Zim and Dave Filoni introducing us, kind of reintroducing me to Miyazaki stuff. I had seen stuff as a kid, didn't know who made it. And then Filoni turned us on to that. And and then it was like seeing Cowboy Bebop and Foodie Cootie and just going, oh, like, and I'm, I'm someone who's always like looking at the top of the mountain. How can I get up there? You know, and that mountain being not success, it's being a creative 
you know, this thing. I'm like, how do we get up there? And I'm looking up there, and Cowboy Bebop and Fudi Kuti are way up the mountain. And I'm like, we're down here. I love that it didn't discourage you, because I think for a lot of us, it did, you know, initially. We... <laughs> now I feel better. Now I feel better. Because yes. it is. It's, that's intimidating, too. I mean, Brian Wilson's famous story about hearing, like, Revolver or Sergeant Pepper or something like that and being like, I'm going right. to bed and I'm never getting out of it again. Like, the best has been done. There's no point for me, you know? The Beatles felt that way about pet sounds, you totally. know, and that's that's the, well, that's, that's the, thing, the important right? lesson. Don't don't walk away from something because you feel like somebody's, you know, a gajillion percent better than you at it. If you can push past that and, you know, have the ambition to get better rather than letting it discourage you. But you're, I'm, I'm glad you said that because it is good to hear that, it, that, that the discouragement is part of that and can be part of the process too, that it's not just as simple as like, well, that's better than anything I've ever done, but I'll get there someday. Like that you can have those conversations where one day you're like, I should just, I should stop doing this. This is making me crazy. And then oh. the next day going, you know, I feel better. I feel better. Like I'm going to, you know, maybe I will get up there at some point. Like those are, it's, it's very fluid, right? Yeah. I feel like it also doesn't go away. <laughs> like, no. like, yeah. Uh, also good to hear. Also these, good to hear. These successes and stuff. It's like, I still feel like I don't have the time. I'm like, I forgot how to write. Apparently I have no idea. How do you write? How do you write a character? I don't know. I can't draw. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know how to draw anymore. I think we're yeah. always chasing giants as like, as a lot of people are chasing you guys after, well, after this series to a degree. You dude. know what I'm saying? And not in a bad way, but in a way of inspiration. Yeah, I mean, like, I hope it's inspiring. Yeah, I mean, it, ideally it's part discouraging, but hopefully mostly inspiring where it's, <laughs> it's like, oh, I want to create, I want to yeah, try man. hand at this and, and get better. And uh, yeah. I think that the human spirit is like the the like magic ingredient and, and like genuine passion. And that comes through, it comes through especially in handmade animation, you know, stuff that's drawn. There's a real fingerprint of the artist in the work to the point that, I mean, sometimes, you know, someone's storyboard drawings might be a little wonky and it, it seeps into the final animation and you're like, Oh geez, that person's, you know, stuff kind of <laughs> got in there. And, and, um, but you know, there's, there are a ton of episodes, you know, it was hard to keep the quality up. It was an incredibly ambitious show the original series and and we were just figuring stuff out in the overseas studios we had at 1.3 different studios so we were trying to get the american crews who weren't into anime or weren't into miyazaki trying to get them up to speed and and get the sitcom out of them or the kids tv animation out of them and try to get them to you know to understand what we were going for this amalgam of inspirations and and um, I think, like, it, you know, I look back, there's a bunch of stuff that I just think, oh, I wish that scene was animated better. Oh, I don't like the way this characters look in, the, in this episode. Or, and it doesn't matter. You know, it matters. Sure, it would be nice if it all was super slick and, and looked its utter best. But it still delivers this really powerful, complete package to people that, that go straight to their hearts. And, you know, and, and that's important for us to remember too, is like, look, I'm never, I am, I am, I never going to be able to draw like Miyazaki. I will never be able to animate like him. I'm not even, it's not ever going to happen. It's okay. <laughs> you know? And, <laughs> and that's not just like hero worship. It's just, it's just facts, you know? And, and I'm okay with that. Um, 
but even a slowly, you know, American Mortals. sitcom animators, <laughs> like, it's still, there's, everybody still has some, like, humanity and some spark and spirit that if it's genuinely getting into your work and you can, you can, if it's, you can get other people around you inspired, you know, you can make something that's, that really touches people and it doesn't have to be perfect and slick and world-class you know and it's still worth it and um but of course as artists we're always chasing something because there's the thing in your head or that thing that you see that you just love so much yet some people still regard this as perfect like this the first this first series they're always like it's perfect it's a perfect that blows series. me away yeah, there's so much amazing. that i would fix <laughs> it literally it comes across every pitch meeting these it's, avatars become a part of the buzzwords you know within hollywood where it's animation or anything it's always comes back in what can it be more like how about and then you're like they're talking about this perfect thing but that's wrong they should take that inspiration and then go do something else i mean that's what we did we didn't just try to make Cowboy Bebop or Foodie Cootie. It doesn't look like either of those. Well, I know Dante and I would love to hear more about the process, the overall process of putting an animated show like this together. I, we, Dante and I were actually talking to each other and realized we, we really don't have any idea what the director of an animated show even does. Like in our minds, the director of an episode is the person who is telling the camera people what to do, telling us what to do like is present with the actors it's similar it's just different it's know. it's the same but they have to draw it all the camera and the character the actor are both drawn so they are directing, directing the artist drawing it you know you know is there a point especially in the first season where it's all down to you you're listening for this pass like you suddenly notice that ang's footsteps seem a little too crunchy we got our our zuko microscopic examiner here with brian how hard is it to at a certain point go you know what, they're just going to have to stay the amount of crunchy that they are because there's other stuff I need no, to focus on. No, we gave on, notes. Or... If a showrunner is a professional note giver, and we give notes on everything, including Zuko's crunchy footsteps. That's the foley. It's very important. Yeah, with animation, too, you're literally examining every, well, I would say every frame, but really every two frames, you know, like, so we, and, and back in the old days when we were just had our VCR with the episode on it like trying to call retakes which is like oh my the gosh. most frustrating part of the process but also the most crucial because that's where after the animation comes back from from the overseas studio you know you have a chance to to fix the things that aren't quite right yet some of which are like really bad problems like oh katara's face is like her eyes over here that does not look good <laughs> or two little <laughs> subtle things like I don't know, Aang's hand is missing his arrow or little details or something's off model. Mm. But that's the thing. That's after like <laughs> both of us and directors looking at these things and frame by framing through animation and going like, ah, we got to fix this one frame yeah. and you do drawovers and yeah, it's, it's a very tedious process. And you can only fix so much because all of the fixes that the animators have to do, they've already moved on to the next episode. So when you are saying, I get it, you've moved on and you're all tired from doing this episode, but there's stuff that's broken in here. We've got to fix it. Or you might have creative, oh, we thought of this idea late. That's called a creative retake where you pay for it, but you say, we need to change this thing. And the animators are telling you, but it's going to take away from the next episode. And we're like, yeah, but this episode's not in shape to be shown to people, you know? And being a showrunner, 
you have to care about everything, everything. And a lot of showrunners, I think, don't. And that's why the show's, it's not like a real honed vision. They're, they have the things that, they, that are important to them, and then they just sort of don't care about it. If you have great people in charge of those other things, it could still work. Um, it's not that the showrunner or showrunners are the only ones that can make those decisions, but um, I think the shows that you see that really feel specific it feels like a specific vision is that person cared about the the lighting and the clothing and the sound the how crunchy those things are and and the the type of editing and the pacing and the, the music because that is all part of the story it's all part of the world it's all part of the the creative vision but it's we did know Seth MacFarlane. Mike knew him much better, but I knew him when we a bit when we first got out here. We saw firsthand, close proximity, what it was like to be a showrunner, and I never had any delusions that it was some glamorous, <laughs> right? Like kicking back and every it's just so fun. I knew right from when I got out here how hard that was, and then I became friends with Joan and Vasquez making Zim, and saw how hard that was. And so I it wasn't like oh, I'm going to run a show, some sort of glamorous throne. It was more like, oh, we're going to get in the ring. Like, okay, we've trained. Do you want to actually fight? You know, and that, that's that's the analogy I use now because it is not for everybody. And it should, you, I don't recommend it for everybody. <laughs> it's, not, <laughs> it's not the be-all, end-all. You can have a great career and not be a showrunner. And so after this intense work schedule and all the different bits and pieces that go into this, what did it feel like when you knew the show was premiering? I mean, the thing with with doing the show was that we were still in the middle of like heavy production. So it wasn't like we had finished it. It wasn't like a movie where like you finished it. Oh, it's coming out in a few months. Oh, boy. Uh, you, you have time to worry and stuff like I don't remember exactly. But, you know, there's certainly some 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 expectations like, oh, I hope it does well. And, and, you know, we get to make more and all that. But we were still in the thick of doing season one when the, the first episode aired. So it was like, you know, we had the premiere party. We had a moment to, like, enjoy the it coming out. And then it was like back to work the next day on whatever episode we were working on at, at the time. So. And really, it was like that for all three seasons. Even when we finished season one, we were already writing on season two. You know, I think all through Avatar, I think I took one vacation, maybe, or maybe two. <laughs> I remember taking, yeah, I took a big trip at the end. But did you guys ever have any expectations? You know, I, I know as an actor doing the show, and I've talked about it in other interviews, like I've had zero expectations because it didn't make any sense that this show was on Nickelodeon when I was doing it. And I was like, it's a fun show. I had no idea what it was going to become. We were, we were outside the noise of social media at that time doing the show. And so for it to become what it became was a, a big surprise to me and I, that I love. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. The whole show was a big surprise to me. But as you guys are doing it, did you guys have any expectations of – it felt like a departure from, from Nickelodeon to a degree what they were doing before. And, and what oh, they, for sure. They haven't really done anything yeah. like it since, you know? Yeah, I mean, we were doing the continuous storytelling and the bingeability thing before that was a thing, you know, and and that was some early conversations with Eric was like, he was totally supportive of of that approach. It was just, okay, make sure each episode has kind of a beginning, middle, and end. It's not just like cliffhanger, cliffhanger, cliffhanger kind of thing, which was fine with us. We like that that storytelling where you're you're telling a longer story in these these shorter chunks. 
and I think that was more like common in anime back around that time. And like that was around the time Lost was coming out and like it was out there, but especially if, certainly for, I think for American TV animation, I, I can't think of another show that was doing that at that time. But I do remember even at the, at the time and on those message boards, like if there was an episode that like didn't a hundred percent move the overall plot forward. It was like, Oh, we were, it was suddenly a filler episode and forget that episode. And I was like, what is this filler? It's like, it's all part of the story guys. Come on. Filler. Yeah. They call it anime filler. That was, people say that about Omashu, right? It was like, what are you talking about? Well, and that's in the end, some of those episodes end up becoming, you know, Omashu is actually a super crucial episode. Cause it's the, you know, you, you know, you introduce Boomy. Absolutely. Um, totally. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, the most famous one is the uh, Great Divide one, which I'll give them. I'll say that's pretty fillery. That's terrible. How could you've got this big gap? It's a big empty hole, yet it is filler. <laughs> oh, no. I actually grown to like that. I've grown to like that episode a lot. Yeah, I was not happy with it. But, but every <laughs> even the episodes that I wasn't as stoked on, there were always moments that I really liked. And um, that one has some, you know, the little the various versions of the story, you know, and the cute little game they play at the end. I like the art, the different, I like the art shift in the episodes. I always, yeah. with Giancarlo Volpe, I always introduce Giancarlo, Giancarlo as the director of The Great Divide. <laughs> that had the canyon, the canyon crawlers in it, which I feel like was a, was a cool, creepy animal that we didn't use. I didn't yeah, they're like super them. creepy. Great job, guys. Like I felt like if we cha- if the ending changed a little bit from the lie, it could have have a- we'd have a whole different feeling about. That. Nah, I don't think that would save it. Um. Wait a minute, from the lie? <laughs> oh, the lie thing—that's yeah. what people hold I on think, to. So it's not like it's the only time Aang does some foreshadow report, foreshadow report, foreshadow <laughs> report. It's not like it's the only time he, as a child, makes a choice that is not. He's true. a trickster. He's a trickster. Yeah. He learned from the best. Dante, your earlier question: Did we? expect or hope honestly you know describing how challenging it is as a showrunner and the prize i kept my eyes on was just finishing the story it's not that i didn't you know hope it would be successful or wonder or whatever but i just thought we just needed to be successful enough that we can get to the end that's it because it wasn't just a show that was like a reset button and oh we got to make x number of seasons of it and then it got canceled we weren't trying to drag this thing on forever we pitched it with a beginning a middle and an end and we just wanted to finish telling the story that was the only thing that would bum me out was that if that opportunity would be cut short and however successful it might be we were trying to make something that would last you know you write some fantasy novel that lives on the shelves of your barnes and nobles and your libraries and stuff so i grew up on that kind of stuff i want to add to that pantheon like cool fantasy stories cool animation the trajectory of its popularity has really just kind of gone up and up and up and up well that for the exact reason that you just said and what dante said earlier is like that when people talk about how perfect it is maybe they aren't talking about whether in this frame Sokka's still holding a cup and in the next he is he's put it down which by the way Sokka might have just put the cup down like it's really okay the best retort to anything like that is like why don't you make a show and I will be there, and I will point out all of the retakes that you didn't fix. Yeah, but to be able to lean into the fact that that much attention to detail is coming as part of a compendium of this Avatar wiki that is so thorough, only 
huge passionate love for this world could have created something that would then keep track of like a you know a fun gaff here and that those things become not even there's not a criticism of the work it's like i know the most I know the most about this thing that I love so fiercely that part of my love for it means I can point out when Sokka isn't holding the cup anymore. And that's not a that's not a criticism. It's part of the package of me being an Uber fan. That's not me, but I, but you know, but I see why. That's the real success of the show. When it's so good, and, and we've seen it firsthand, I'm sure you guys have too, is when people adopt the show for themselves. It's like the character Zuko, the, the whole story of Aang, like it's theirs. It means so much to them that it, it says something about them when they talk, when they're talking to me about the show, they're talking about themselves. And that's, I mean, you know, it only happens a few times in, in my career, but certain characters have transcended, certain stories have transcended and people have adopted it as their story. And it's always, it just makes you feel good as a storyteller to be a part of these great stories. If you're lucky, it happens to you once, you know what I'm saying? And so it's one of those projects. Dante, you're so right. I love everything you're saying. I couldn't agree more. That's that's so true. And that's a, one of the things that we hear about as actors is, yeah, that intense identification with a fictitious character that has then helped people identify better with what they want in their own lives or what's holding them back in their own lives or who they need to communicate better with or differently with in their lives. That's huge. <laughs> that idea that once you release art out into the world, it it's no longer yours, you know? It's like you may give birth to a child, but that child is its own person and it's not you. And it goes on to have its own life and interacts with people and art is very much the same way. And, you know, for me, my favorite medium is music and there there is music by my favorite artists that is such an intrinsic part of my life and my memory and my identity and, and the evolution of my thoughts and personality and especially the music you know they have I think Oliver Sacks or I don't know people have studied like the music you're listening to when you're 12 13 14 you're like going through puberty and your brain's forming and you're like figuring out who you are Mike and I talk about this all the time it's like this notion like that stories are like kind of instruction manuals for living and dealing with other people and mm -hmm. and sometimes you get the right manual at the right time and it makes a big impact on you so yeah it's like you released it out into the world it's your thing but it's also not your thing anymore <laughs> you know it's it's because it is part is now wrapped up in someone else's life and and their brain and heart and community at grand canyon university we believe in equal opportunity and the american dream starts with purpose whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. We do have a segment in the show called Animal Crossing, the original Animal Crossing, where we talk about hybrids that we've met. Obviously, we've met Appa. We've seen some otter penguins. I just found out that Appa was half manatee. I, I didn't even know. I never knew that. But then On this podcast. Read the art book. <laughs> he looked up a manatee on, on the internet and said, oh, yeah. 
I learn stuff every day. I had to look up a manatee, and then the body floating. I was like, "That's Appa. There he is." <laughs> also, you were criticizing their posture, but they're underwater, Dante. I know. I didn't know why. It's not he like was they're just... sitting in a chair. Like I thought, Appa slumped a lot. I was like, "This guy got horrible posture. What's wrong with this dude?" Have you ever seen a bison? They have humps on their back, Dante. That's not all. Just. It's not like his bad posture is the shape of his back. I mean, I like Appa. I didn't ponder him a whole lot. You're dissing on Appa now. Oh, my gosh. He's a homie. I love me some Appa. Right, Mike. And so you very kindly listened to our pilot episode, and you both said wonderful things. And they're pretty short pieces of feedback in the top and then after Brian's signature and then like a series of information about what his job is and, and running Avatar Studios and all this then it was like P.S. Tiny P. Tiny S. It's like a page <laughs> of, of like esoterica in the best way. It was like I mean if you're curious okay listen this is the reason that no it is not the only place in it, like this that village is not the entirety of the Southern Water Tron you can tell Dante I said it's like he show ran the episode which is what we needed so it's great being that kind of annoying human is a good trait for a showrunner (laughs) that's a great trait for a showrunner it's not great for making friends no i loved it because it showed that you paid attention and listen if you had said you know at the the top of the email like wow guys wow let's talk you know this is this is not anything close to what i would ever want associated with the show of course it was great page of notes would be but that's you said the thing that mattered, and then you were like, "I'm just gonna throw in a few." I, that's why it was in the PS. In case it helps, in case it helps. Dante knows nothing. They were. What's did he do this show? Was Dante in the world? I don't know if people use this word anymore, but they were factoids. I was just dropping they some factoids, factoids that you could use later if you some wanted. Some sweet hot factoids, and we yeah. have popped up factoids. Exactly. Oh, that's right. Okay, so back to Animal Crossing. Do you have a favorite or two? I think Appa will always be my favorite one because it was the first one. Well, that's not true. Actually, Naga, because the first drawing of Aang had Naga in it. Yes. And um, so we, we came up with Naga even before Appa. So that was one of those that didn't make it into the first series just for whatever reason. But that is in the art book, yeah? Yeah. I feel like Naga is referenced. Yeah, we just it just didn't make its way in. But when we came back, we were like, hey, remember that design? Oh, yeah, we could use that. Appa, because it was the first one that you know, I had this little sketch of Aang just happily sitting on his head, and he was shepherding a whole flock of them through the sky. Had no idea how they flew, didn't know why any of them had arrows or whatever. But back when we were in that intense period between meeting with Eric Coleman and then pitching to him, I actually went to Florida on a quick trip and got to swim in nature with a manatee. That's what happened to me. Yeah, I I heard you say that. I actually got to swim with one. It was incredible. With a manatee? Sweetest thing. You could just feel its benevolence. You know, like you really can feel its presence. You want to take care of it, even though it's so much bigger than you, like sort of the elephant thing where you're just like, oh, you're so yeah. gentle and wonderful. Beautiful, gentle oh. creature and terrible and, um, posture. Terrible, terrible posture, no. right, Dante? <laughs> <laughs> he lives in zero gravity. I understand. And he's <laughs> eating off the sea floor, so it's good to have its head down there. It's good to have that. Yeah, and then and then Naga because Naga was 
you know, later when we went to finalize the design, I worked in my dog, Gunther, and Mike's dog, Truman. They were brothers. I worked in some aspects. And when I went, like, took Gunther to snow, and I had little snow gloves for him, you know, like the dog mittens, he was like Naga. His front paws were huge, and I could not get the, the mittens over his front paws. And then his back paws were <laughs> tiny, and they, they slipped right over. I was like, you really are Naga. But Dark, Dark Horse made a really adorable plush of Naga and it it's based on my style guide pose of Naga that they used you know and press stuff and they really captured that pose so we still it, Gunther and Truman sadly have passed on but we have that plush on our like mantle and it's just it's it's like a little thing and then lastly Momo even though Momo's a lemur I never had a lemur but that was really based on my cat buddy just would sort of draw a cat body and then put big ears on it so those are you know the original the original three are probably my favorites. Yes, I mean the the classic Apamomo Naga, of course, are amazing. The badger moles were cool. I like those guys. There's this one animal that we put in the like I think it was just in the finale because we needed a f- super fast land animal, and I don't remember exactly who came up with it, but it was an eel hound. I want to do more with eel hounds because think, it has a lot of potential, and we didn't really get to do too much with them, but they were kind of cool. They're- Spinoff show eel hound in the new universe. Kind of like a greyhound with a crazy eel neck, and it was, it was weird. It was a weird one, but it looked cool. We go to the eel hound races in Miami. Yeah, and we just bet on the, the eel hound races. Ours are ethical, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> ethical, ethical, ethical eel hound races. Started by, run by themselves. They're in control. It's great. It's exactly how they want it. Eel hounds. That you've heard it here. You heard it here. And I got, I got to ask about Bosco the bear because I get asked about Bosco the bear all the time. I'm like, I don't know. That he's just a regular bear? Why is he just a regular bear? Uh, so, all right. This is when you have a bunch of really smart writers who went to Ivy League schools <laughs> and stuff. First of all, they're like, hybrid animals? Wait, we got to do a bunch of jokes about that. And then they're like, wait, let's do a joke about not having a hybrid animal. That's its own joke. Bosco was named after Lisa, our friend Lisa, who worked on the show. It was named after her dog. It was not named after oh, you. Cool. I never thought Very of cool. the connection. The year she was named after her other dog. So both of Oh wow. Yeah, both of her dogs. And then June was based on her visually and then May was based on her personality. So she had four characters in the show that were Oh my god. That's pretty cool. Bosco's That's name cool. was spelled differently than your last name, so it, it was B O S C O. You know, we'll be asking some guests if they have a ship that they get behind. I think I'm not going to ask. We don't want to ask you guys that. I think for us, it's more what's interesting is when did you become aware of that as a phenomenon? And did you have any kind of specific reaction to it? We were just talking to our 25-year-old junior exec about this. Um, Yeah, shipping, as far as I know... I'm not going to say it didn't exist because anything humans can think of, uh, I'm sure existed somewhere in people's heads, but like as a cultural phenomenon, as a driving force of fandoms, I had never, ever, 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 ever heard of two of, of someone sitting there, not even while watching the show and thinking about two characters in that show who are not together and just spending mental psychic energy wishing they would just get together like that is such an alien concept to me and i can't even 
think of having something of a remote version of that in my head. <laughs> what about Flynn and Yuri from Tron? Did you ever ship Flynn and Yuri exactly. from Tron? Maybe I thought, oh, maybe these characters are going to get together. Like I s- sense some tension there. But I would never then like, I need to go write some fanfic. 10 pages about more than 10 pages. I mean, I feel like on those, like we were talking about those early message boards, I can't remember if the term was used, but there was definitely talk about like the Zuko Katara, the Aang and Katara, that stuff. Then I forget how we learned about it, but someone was like, you know, shipping's a thing. And I was like, what What are you talking about? (laughs) And and was educated that this was in fact a a thing that people thought about. You can understand it from the perspective of, and and this is why I love Korosami so much, is that in so much of contemporary culture shows and all, you know, basically all kinds of storytelling, you don't have a whole lot of shipping of gay characters. Yeah. They're not being represented. And so the idea of that existing and needing to exist in a fandom, it took on a whole new meaning for me. When when you think about it that way, it's like, oh, that you have to invent it because it's not really recognized the way, you know, straight shipping would be. That is a a fair point. And to answer your question, do I have a ship? Korasami was my first ship. I was the I was the first Korasami shipper and I've I've. (laughs) battled fans over this at like cons they're like i was the first and i'm like i was in the writer's room with mike when you didn't know who asami was or cora um battling with the show's creator is bold bold when you released that the day after with the thing i saw it on tumblr me along with the rest of the fandom probably just kind of got emotional and cried couldn't imagine <laughs> i can't believe they did i was like i just don't i can't believe he did it he really did it. it's crazy well we did what we could and you know as it says in that our statements, you know, it obviously wasn't as far as we would have liked to have gone. But all I'll say is a few years later now and just what what I'm seeing in media, it's 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 encouraging. And I'm I'm glad that we were just part of that wave. And, yeah, and it was cool to see it's cool to see other shows that were other animated shows that were going on around town at the same time that were maybe a little after us, but they took it. They were able to take it a little further. But um no, I honestly, I was just describing that it was so strange to me. It was also strange to me. I've said this many times when I got to art school and realized people were still watching Star Wars. I didn't know that was happening. So <laughs> my reaction to shipping was also similar. I was like, what? Why? What's going on? Why are you doing that? If people want to ship, totally fine. Mike, any thoughts you want to add to that? Uh, I, no judgments. People... You ship who you want to ship. <laughs> There's your Ang and Zuko comparison right there. You know, it, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we try not to let it act what we want to do, though. Like we we're gonna put the characters together that we think make the most interesting stories and and stuff. And we know there's gonna be reactions no matter what combination we do. So or don't uh, do. Yeah. So or don't do. So right. Right. You're gonna you're gonna make some people happy. Some people are not gonna be happy because these characters are not together. But I mean, that's kind of what you do as writers. Is like you're like, oh, I want to see these two characters together. Let's see what happens when these two meet and or whatever. And sometimes you know? the characters tell you. Yeah. You know, and it's not just about romantic relationships. I mean, I've seen other writers and showrunners talk about this. You get to know your characters, and they start telling you if you respect them and think of them as real people which I think you should, they'll start telling you what's 
true to them and true to their character and, and where they want, what choices they would make. And you, you try to listen. I think that's important. I've somehow become the captain of the Zutara ship online throughout the years. Somehow. And <laughs> you I, are the zoo. I and... am. But I give him this. I gave him this poem. And it goes, I love, I love Zutara, even though it's not canon, because I'm a hopeless romantic. Some things are best left to be imagined. <laughs> And like, Perfect. let it be. Like, Perfect. it's okay. That's yeah. just it, y'all. Let's not trip out. Yeah. Imagination's cool. <laughs> That's fine. Enjoy yourselves. This is off the top of your head. Each of you, just in this moment, whatever bubbles to mind, within book one, within water, uh, a, a place that you can drop into, you're not reliving the plot. You just get to hang in that environment you know, with those characters, like if you could just zip in there for a little bit. Not because you just said zip, but, but, uh, Jet's treehouse zip line oh, nice. little area. Ooh. Not because I thought Jet was cool. That's but a whole nother, that's a whole nother episode. You know, Go, get, going deep into Jet is a whole nother. Hanging out, hanging out in the tree forts. Oh, and... I can't wait to get to Jet Rufio. <laughs> I don't know. That's the most, that seems like a that's fun, the most complicated character. I think spot. in the series that you really oh, got to yeah. look at him and be like, what were you got? What I don't know. That's another. That's another whole conversation. Yeah, I. I honestly was gonna say the same <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah. I, I love tree forts, <laughs> and uh, it had like the fall foliage. Even though I think it wasn't fall. Um, I too love tree forts. Being yeah. a former lost boy, also <laughs> love tree forts. Uh, exactly. That's what I'm saying. It's like yeah. Sounds good to me. Those are great choices. And then have to ask. Understand that you probably can't say much about it, but. Is there anything you can tell us about Avatar Studios and kind of the future of where things are going? Just that we are working hard to, on some new stories. New, we're, we're overseeing the whole franchise, so it's going to take a while before new stuff starts percolating out there. But rest assured, we are working hard to satisfy the desires of everyone. We just keep tapping into this wellspring in the way that inspires us and in finding great creative partners to work with us and to help us explore these ideas. And so, yeah, Mike and I have sort of mapped out a very ambitious, uh, multi-tiered, I don't know, it feels like a big octopus. And we're just um, looking at how we can go deeper into this big, rich, largely untapped history and future in, in the mm -hmm. Avatar world. So... There are, there are ideas that we've been excited about for a long time that we're finally getting to really dive into. And then there's things that we're just figuring out and just getting really excited about. And if we were just trying to take requests and it's not the way to, it's not the way to carve out a big fantasy universe, but go ahead, Mike. Sorry. Oh no, it's just, it's the cool thing. I think we can say about it that without giving anything away is like the way we're approaching it now is like, so different than avatar you know we're coming in now and we have unprecedented support from nickelodeon so it is the franchise and like the shows and and animated stuff but also you know other stuff beyond and publishing and and podcasts like you're doing and all that stuff so just to have this like super big picture like brian was talking about big picture i like big picture <laughs> things like looking at this giant picture we're not like oh we have all these ideas we might uh, maybe we'll get to make one of them, but it's like, oh, we have all the ideas and ideally we're going to get to, over the years, explore all of them and, and get to make them. But it'll take some time. A lot of time. It's a long plan and and again, it is multi-tiered and what's neat is that it, we want each of these projects to have its own 
feeling, its own tone and look. And, and so it will all feel true to the Avatar world, but they will all be very different expressions of it. So it will really deepen it and expand it. And we've been lucky that the two series we've made already reach quite a diverse, you know, international, young, old audience, people that really aren't even into animation or maybe don't even have kids, but have ended up watching the show. I think the new stuff will even push into other audiences, you know. As always, we're not chasing audiences. It's always just like got to start from that genuine inspiration and that that test audience of us. <laughs> just is this what we think yeah. feels true to Avatar? Is this what we think we're excited to tell? And and um, I think it's I think it's amazing how, you know, when I when I was in high school reading Lord of the Rings and I just loved it, you know, it inspired me to try to write my own stories um, as, as a teenager and to illustrate them. And and um, the the way fans interact with stuff now is so creative and interactive, and they're using the show as I mean, we were talking about when you release these things, they're not really yours anymore. Like on Korra. Like people would take a still that I would post and they would like put it into After Effects and add a camera move and parallax and an eye blink. And, and I'm like, whoa, like they were interacting with this stuff in such a creative way. I loved all the jokes and memes and poking fun at us. And I, I loved it. Like in the, the heyday of Tumblr, oh, that was great. You know, it was fun. It was so fertile and creative. So yeah, there's all there's we're gonna explore a bunch of stuff that we wanna do, but it's like it's just gonna crack open even more stuff for people to be inspired and they're always free to do their own fan art and fan animation and fan fiction and stuff. We just try to keep it I love that. I think it's awesome. But we just try to keep that out of our heads and just tell the story. I don't wanna tell Miyazaki what his next movie should be, <laughs> you know. I just wanna That's see right. it. That's I just right. wanna see it. And not that That's we're right. Miyazaki, but you just wanna let those creators like do their thing from that whatever that yeah. place is that they they're getting their inspiration like that's that's what's interesting so yeah you guys show up for yourselves you show up for each other you show up for the work and you are showing up for, for the fans just by doing those things <laughs> like that's that translates to creating new wonderful stuff and i know dante and i i mean listen we're here as fans so we're fans of you two, too. Yeah. And if we make all this stuff, you guys are just be podcasting for about the next 20 years or so, I think. So. I know. We're reporting <laughs> I, on... We've totally talked about that. We're like, this is amazing. We're reporting on the Avatarverse. I'm happy to just be a fan who talks about it on a meta level for the rest of my life. I'm perfectly happy that that is like my jam. We'll so, try to give you good uh, stuff you. to talk uh, exactly. I have. I couldn't be less concerned. I feel very hopeful that this will not be the last time that we have you on. Please have us back. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for doing this. Thanks for giving us a little peek at what is coming up in the future. Dante, thank you as always for being my amazing you, buddy and wonderful co-host. Thank you, Mike, Brian. Man, I miss you guys. It's always great to hang. Thank you so much for having us on. It's been awesome. We we feel so honored that you are running our <laughs> podcast. Um, no, but when we when we you know heard that you two would be helming this this project, we were so excited. And you you two have just been such. Um, amazing ambassadors of the Avatarverse and, and the fans 
love you and can I Janet you and I would sit next to each other at so many signings and and I would just see you and the and like fans just bawling together and I've done that a little bit with fans <laughs> but like someone shows up with tears in their eyes you it's over for me connect I with immediately them on a, also have tears in my eyes yeah you connect with them in a way that is, is so special and Dante is the hardest working person <laughs> in the con business and uh and, you know, I just know the fans appreciate it so much because you, you two are just luminaries. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. It was great talking to you. Well, friends, we hope you enjoyed these two very special episodes with Mike and Brian. We have tons more special content to come. Subscribe, whether it be on Apple Podcasts or the iHeartRadio app or Spotify or just wherever you get your podcasts. And speaking of special episodes, we are excited to dive right back into the TV series. We will return with you next week. Thanks so much for listening to Braving the Elements.